0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. How y'all doing? We got a great show planned for you. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're always talking about mental health and raising awareness. But uh I wanted to spend some time this month talking about some specific diagnoses. So later in the show, a little bit of a content and trigger warning. We're going to be talking about self-harm. So if that is something that is overwhelming or triggering for you, that's going to be the second part of our show. Maybe take a little break or uh Have some resources available. And um, after this, though, we'll be talking about parenting and mental health. Applicable to everyone, but we'll be zeroing in on what are the specifics that parents need to be thinking about these tough times. And uh, as always, doing tons of DMs. So uh, let's get into some mental health news. This one's more environmental. But, uh, you know, again, we have to be thinking and caring about the environment that is powerfully tied to our mental health. We are connected. Uh, We've talked about that more so in other segments. But a coffee shop in the UK, love this, has made a brave decision to go cup free. That's right. You can get coffee. Got to bring your own cup. I love that. They actually filled their fronts of their store with all the cups that they traditionally use in a certain amount of time. Really, really overwhelming. And it's a waste. People drink their coffee. They throw it. And let me just tell you all something. Recycling is a drop in the bucket, y'all. A drop in the bucket is not a profound or big enough way to really push back on climate change and environmental issues. It's a joke. We really need to be going after larger sources. And one of them is um, overconsumption of materials. I love that, bring your, bring a disposable cup. But I know places like Starbucks, um, you, there is, again, don't quote me on this. I don't remember the rules or regulations because most restaurants you can't bring outside stuff in and have them take it into the back of the kitchen. But I do believe there's a way to have your coffee cup refilled. I, 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 you have to get more details, but I love that people are starting to do this. I try to bring my backpack when I go grocery shopping so as to not need paper or plastic. I try to use things that don't have a lot of waste. But I I love that idea. I want more shops to... Offer things like that, I think that that's really, 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 really important. Um, also, I love reporting on gay animals just to remind us all that nature in the animal kingdom are gay. Um, it's not normal to be straight or abnormal to be gay. It's normal to be all these diverse queer ways. You know, in the plant and animal kingdom, they have experiences of changing genders and sexual orientations and poly families and gay parenting. And here's like another beautiful example of that. So, a gay penguin power couple that we've reported on and talked about, they've hatched yet another chick and maybe grandparents soon. So Sven and Magic are the gay couple from Australia. Uh, They're at it again. They successfully hatched an egg two years ago and they raised the chick. Now they've hatched another one. This is a gay penguin couple. Love this stuff. You can't write this stuff. Um, They set up a nest and they're hatching their own little baby. Now, the zookeepers noticed this. Now, traditionally, they said, I love this, gay penguin couples are frequently given eggs that other penguin parents aren't caring for or if there's too many and they jump in and parent them. Like, really sit with that for a second. What an amazing thing that they don't, they're they're not... They're not aware or bothered by whether or not it's genetically there, so I love that normalization of the creative, diverse ways that families created, right? Um, and kids don't need a mother and a father, they just need caregivers. It can be one mom, one dad, someone who's non-binary, two dads, two moms, two moms and two dads as a power group. It doesn't matter, kids just need love, care, and support. They don't need genders. In fact, we're trying to move away from gender roles. You know, this is gonna be good for them, but um, I love this stuff. The zoo penguin supervisor said, Hold on, I gotta get back to this quote. They have the neatest and largest nest in the colony. And when we noticed that another couple were struggling to incubate two eggs at the same time, we made the decision to foster the second egg to the power couple of the colony. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Sorry. And shame on you, Montana. You're joining um, a lot of other places like Alabama and Florida that's really pushing, and they've been successful. Montana has banned trans youth from sports and puts further restrictions, very strict ones, on LGBTQIA education. So y'all are a bunch of bigots and homophobes. Not everyone, but the people that support this truly you are doing violence to individuals. So shame on all of you. Uh, Montana has now made it illegal, ready? Illegal to mention gender identity or sexual orientation in schools unless parents opt into it in advance. Montana is now also the seventh state to ban trans youth in sports. So where are these trans youth supposed to play sports? Just nowhere. Sorry about it. We don't recognize you as existing. You need a solution. Then you can't just take a handful—a uh, handful. You can't just take a section of individuals and say, "Sorry, peace out." That's a mess. So again, we're living in a world where we're only allowed to acknowledge um, heterosexuals as what's like on the planet, right? Forget talking about gay individuals. And those that are on these uh, hookup apps, I want to give you yet another warning, yet another story breaks, another one of people using these apps to engage in violence and to rob. This one just came out of Atlanta, Georgia. I see at least one new one a week. This is heartbreaking. Um, And basically, they've been using Grindr. Uh, At least eight people have been robbed between February and May after planning dates on Grindr in Atlanta, just in Atlanta eight people have been robbed. And this is happening in other cities as well. So please be very safe and be very thoughtful when you are planning to meet up with someone. I always say, send as much information as you can to friends, drop a location. Um, And I always advise getting the person on FaceTime before you go meet up with anyone, just to make sure, if nothing else, that the chemistry's there, but also to make sure that they are who they say they are. Unsafe times, y'all. All All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about mental health in terms of parents and then getting into self-harm. All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about uh, mental health tips for parents. Now, again, this is for literally everybody, although it's through the entry point of parents. This is something that's applicable to all of us. Um, I'm trying to talk more about um, the mental health conditions of parenthood and our current climate. Uh, it's really hard to address every specific population, but I do my best to make sure we're kind of circling around and talking about every different uh, identity configuration that we have in the world. Now, again, before we even get into the topic of how do parents specifically, and again, we all have many, many takeaways that we can get from the topic. Um, <clears throat> I wanna remind everyone that the, the best mm, lens, I guess I can give you is always try to think in terms of all your different identities, right? And then I'll move on to another paradigm, but that's the first one. You're, you're many different people in the course of a day, a week, a month, and a year, right? You're, an, so you're a solo, autonomous individual. And I think we forget that. We become partnered, we become a boss or an employee, we become a family member, we become a friend, we become a parent, we become a lover. And, and then we have our professional identities, right? And I think it's easy for us to forget about our own um, autonomous, solid, solo compartmentalized self. That's one of our many cells. We have many different ego states, as they say. And it makes sense that you're going to be a little bit of a different person in each identity or relationship you have out in the world, right? A different part of us is going to be expected to come forth. Um, A different part of us is going to be related to from this magical other, whoever that is, right? So, um, you know, and I know that in my own life, if you see me with my mom versus you see me with uh, my partner versus you see me professionally, you're going to see three different aspects of myself emerge, right? Because all of our identities and relationships are co-created, right? So the way a parent might be engaging or responding to their four-year-old is gonna look very different to how they maybe engage a friend or how they are in their professional identity. But my bigger point was, you have to tap in all of them. So you have to look at how many different relationships do I have in the world? I myself, then I have my relationship if I'm in a romantic relationship to my boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, husband or wife, right? So then you're also a partner, so we want to make sure that we're weighing in and checking in on the health of our partner, partnership, right? Because we want to weigh in on our solo self, our partnered self, and then our social selves, right? And that's kind of the first entry point is are you are you spending time with all of them um, to the best you can in the course of, again, a week, a month? Are you spending time alone where it's just you with yourself and you're not having to worry about anyone or anything else? And we'll talk about ways to do that. Are you sometimes having a time with just a friend where all you are is friend. You're not parent anymore. You're not husband or wife or partner, right? And maybe it's via time out in the world with them. Maybe it's a phone call or FaceTime. Maybe it's a little bit of a text session, but you're just a friend. You don't need to worry about anything else. And then there's your partner time where hopefully there's time for just you and your partner. And again, we'll talk about building more of that space out, but make sure we're always tapping into all these selves. Cause sometimes that depression, that flatness, Um, that anxiety is because we're imbalanced. Maybe we're too much of a parent. And again, we're not feeding that solo part of ourselves or that romantic partnered part of ourselves or that other social part of ourselves. And this is where we back into other topics I love talking about, like toxic forms of monogamy, where we get into relationships, and sometimes we allow our partners to make us feel as though we can't spend time alone or without them, and we have to. And again, a healthy relationship will really support that and value that, because they're healthy enough to want to see you thrive and succeed, and hopefully they're also off kind of doing that themselves. Um, So that's the big reminder. Just remember to check in on all the different parts of ourselves because sometimes that's all it is and sometimes just spending time in one of those pieces um, is really powerful and meaningful and again often as i said with the text example sometimes it's just a symbolic acknowledgement or engagement with that part of ourselves we don't always as i said need to go f- spend physical time with a friend although i would love us to build a life that weekly we have time to go see a friend, even if it's just an hour for a coffee or an hour for a hike, or them meeting us outside to sit on our stoop for a cup of coffee. Some of my most, um I, and I value it. It's, it, it's not squeezed in, and it's gonna sound that way, but some of my most meaningful conversations are with some of my friends in the morning, between clients, or bef- before I start my clinical day. I have you know a 10-minute window, I give them one of them a quick five-minute call, let them know I'm thinking about, I'm checking with them, kind of start our morning together a little bit. So again, there's symbolic ways to do this, kind of like that uh, relationship to our solo, autonomous self. Uh, go off by yourself for the day, maybe put on some headphones, close the door and sit in the bedroom just looking through, you know, magazines or scrolling and playing music or sitting in the bath. It's just time alone and with yourself, right? And then also, as we've talked about on the show, I hope that there's always at least two hours a week where you can spend with your romantic partner where it's just the two of you and you're not talking about work, you're not talking about the kids, you're not talking about family, right? We're really just connecting to these important parts of ourselves. And I think that that's where mental health really gets to come in. Again, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're talking, (laughs) I mean, we're always talking about mental health, so it's almost comical to me that I'm acting as though uh, this month is going to be especially mental health-centered. But what I am doing is breaking apart some specific mental health diagnoses. Last week, you were talking about bipolar and schizophrenia. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about self-harm. And today, we're just talking about, again, our general well-being and how that mandates that we are all these different pieces I think um, a lot of duress comes when we've abandoned a part of ourselves totally. And it's just that reminder that becoming a parent doesn't mean you have to let go of your social self, right? In in fact, to be a a good parent, you maintain your social self, you maintain your romantic self, right? And to be a good partner in a relationship is to also take time to just engage in your social self or your solo self. So use that again as a barometer, really check in on the health of your relationships. Do they afford your presence in all these other spaces? or is that something that you're made to feel bad about? Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about uh, mental health specifically for parents and just a few key reminders. But again, this is, as always, applicable to everyone because these are very u- universal concepts. But um, just remember to keep tapping into all the different parts of yourself. I think. And again, I run a little bit hypomanic um, adult ADHD. I don't use those words. through those diagnoses, but that's what some of it would look like. And so, you know, I can manage a lot, but in the course of a day, I do my clinical self. I check in with at least three friends, often five. Um, also spend time with my partner and my romantic self, you know, balances you out. All right, we can take a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're talking about mental health. We, we always are, <laughs> but we're specifically talking about ways to boost mental health if you're a parent, but again, applicable to everyone. And the first thing I was saying in our last segment is just making sure you're engaging and really filling up your cup, as they say, in uh, all the different identities or social positions you have out in the world. Make sure you're spending time alone as a solo, autonomous individual. Make sure you're spending time with your romantic partner, if you have one, or partners. Make sure you're spending time just with friends, without your partner. Make sure you're spending time um, maybe doing family time. You know, and then sometimes you bring it all together. But what are some of the specifics? I wanna give you uh, some specifics. I think we talk about our basic needs. So, you know, again, if you're a parent, difficult time, but I wanna say this to everyone else who's in very complex lives. The basics, make sure you're eating every three hours. Make sure you're staying hydrated, right? How much water are you drinking? And those are really meaningful. I can't tell you how profound those things were for me and other individuals I work with. Um, drinking enough water, and you have to really do the research on what's right for you. Um, There's a lot of articles out there. I'm going to let you go do your own homework. I realize for me, I need about 12 glasses a day. I often add electrolytes. I do a lot of uh, working out, Um, cardio. I realized I have high blood pressure and health issues in my family around heart health, So I had to start looking at the amount of sodium in my diet, which was a total game changer. I didn't realize that I was like eating well beyond double the recommended uh, allowance because I was eating a lot of things that um, were processed. I'm vegan and plant-based for my health, for the environment, for my spirituality, for my politics and my feminism, but that didn't mean that there wasn't sodium in things. So focusing on that with the clients of mine as well, talking about, are you eating consistently throughout the day or are you having energy drops? And that might be perceived as stress and anxiety when it's just needing to eat and fuel your body. Hydration also helps us with energy levels. And if your energy levels are low, it's really hard to face and deal with all the stuff that life puts in front of us. You know what I mean? And so we have to think about those things. I mean, I think that's often left out of mental health discussions, is we think it's just about emotional regulation and boundaries and self care. And it's like, well, no, these things are, are the mandatory basics. Um, so check in on that. Also, bedtime. I'm obsessed with talking about sleep because I realized for me and a lot of my clients, again, getting enough sleep and quality sleep has been important. Parents need to think about that. Parents are really good at prioritizing. Mm-hmm often sleep schedules for children and really tracking that and paying attention to that, but to the detriment of their of themselves. You know, it's kind of that old adage, the uh, shoemaker's children never have shoes. We're often putting ourselves out for others, but we forget to worry about ourselves. Um, and in that example, your children as well. But uh, parents often treat their kids' bedtimes with a lot of uh, structure and care, and they don't do that to themselves. So again, we're you know, we're really being thoughtful about the mental state we're in and our nervous system before we try to go to bed. You can't go to bed while activated or as we say, neurologically or, you know, biologically aroused. And I don't mean that in terms of sexual arouse. I mean that in terms of, you know, watching things or reading things that, that kind of awaken us, right? So again, about 30 minutes at least before bed, you want to start watching, reading, or thinking about more soothing things. You don't want to just crash into bed. You want to transition in. So watch a calming, Soothing show. You know, start reading calming, soothing things, calming or soothing music. Definitely turn off or lower the lights as another way to kind of tell your body we're transitioning into sleep. But you can't be working, 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 having a difficult conversation, watching, you know, a high energy crime show and then think you're going to turn it off and lay down and pass out. Some people will, God bless them, but I'm one of those people where transitions are really important to me. So pay attention to that, right? That's going to be really important. To, to look at your mental health as a parent, because remember, you have whatever other roles you have in the world, and then the addition of parenthood. A lot of people, they're just a family member, maybe they're a partner to someone, maybe they're also an employer, employee, and colleague, but they don't also have that parent piece on top, which is a full-time gig for a lot of people. Um, also setting ben- boundaries around your energy. You know, There's only so many things you can do in a day, and if you know you have a lot of things that are gonna be energy depleting, maybe you have to pass on, right or delay or push back on certain things. I love talking about the concept and this comes from the disability field of spoons. We wake up everyone with a different number of spoons and spoons really equates to energy levels. Everyone starts their day with a different amount of energy and you have to realize I only have so much to go so far. So if I have, you know, in the morning of the, in my morning something that's going to require 75% of my energy units or let's say, you know, six of my 10 spoons for the day, well, then what am I gonna have left over for when I need to spend time with my kids, my family, and my partner? And that might mean you have to pass on some work things, set some boundaries with your employer, tell a friend you can't hang out with them or pick them up at the airport or whatever. We wanna be really protective of our energy and our priorities, right? Also taking smaller breaks, and I want everyone to do this when you're at work. Every hour, if you can take a break, go to the bathroom, check your phone, go for a walk, get some air, get some coffee, stand up, move around, read something. You're allowed to build in these breaks. Your mental health matters. It matters more than productivity or focus. I want us to start prioritizing that. You know, Luckily my clinical schedule builds that in every hour. I have time to get up and walk around. I have to apply that to everything I do. Like that's a big, 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 big deal. Um. I'm trying to think if we have enough time. Okay, what we're going to do is we have to take a break and we're going to do some DMs. And then when we come back, we'll keep talking about this because I think that this is meaningful. Um, so stick around. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We always want to hear from you, always anonymous, always confidential, and past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right. We're back. And uh, before we get into the DMs, just wanted to give you all a heads up. I was watching a couple TikTok videos, uh, not so much the videos, but stories about the videos. And just a gentle reminder, be very cautious. There's a lot of influencers out there that are not certified, licensed professionals, and they're giving information on all sorts of mental health and wellness. Be, be very thoughtful whose advice you take. I was watching two articles and the stories related to two people that were seriously burned by following the skincare advice of non. Um, licensed or certified dermatologists or estheticians, Um, people that are just throwing around labels like skincare expert or wellness expert. Those things are not regulated terms. Just like, you know, you have to be thoughtful about people talking about being life coaches or anything with those words. Those are not um, regulated terms. So just be very thoughtful. We want to be looking out for ourselves. But having said that, um, let's slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Alexis. I started to see this guy, Tommy, but his past kind of scares me. He's been to jail twice a few years ago. He's been cut off from his family, except he's still in contact with his brother. But they live about three hours away. He said he's changing and uh, really seems like he is. Guess my question is, should you factor someone's past into your future? Uh, Oh, I love this question. So much in there. A few things. Uh, I want everyone to be reminded that um, in general, before I answer the question specifically, past behavior is a powerful determinant and can help us better understand possible future behavior. Why? Well, they've done something once, shows us what's possible again. So we're talking in terms of like mental health and maybe someone being abusive. Yeah. We can look at that, but I do believe people do change. Once a cheater, not always a cheater. Once an abuser, not always an abuser. I am a therapist. I watch and I'm part of and I help people completely reorient who they are. My favorite examples are always people in drug and alcohol addiction recovery. You know, they might've been liars, cheaters, stealers as a result of being victimized by their own drug and alcohol use, you know, and uh, once away from the drugs, they become more of their better true selves. Um, Also remember that everyone who's gone to jail is not necessarily guilty and um, people that have been incarcerated and part of the criminal injustice system because it unfairly targets people of color, queer and trans individuals, that um, they shouldn't have to carry that label with them forever. And again, a lot of people in prison are um, unfairly incarcerated. And when we talk about things like drugs, things that are now legal, like marijuana, people are still in jail for things like that. So there's a lot of people in jail for nonviolent crimes and they shouldn't have to be held responsible for that or anyone. That's why I'm glad people are still able to vote. And we have to help people get jobs after they've been incarcerated. I mean that's how we really help people move forward and reduce recidivism rates, right? which is basically relapse into prior bad behavior, is by creating new opportunities and helping people move forward. So I really want you to take the time to get to know this person and judge them based on who they are now. We need to judge people based on who they are now, not who they were. I've done horrible things in my past. I wasn't always a good boyfriend or friend. I grew up, you know, and I went through my own problematic times, but I grew up, I learned, I do far better. I'm an amazing human being now, but we have to give people the opportunity to grow, learn, and change, you know? It's not kind or fair, or even mentally reasonable to hold people accountable to prior selves, you know? It's just not, everything does change, you know? Eastern philosophy helps us understand that. So gotta let people grow and change. So give them a chance if you're interested, see who they are now. I really build upon that. And that kind of is uh, partnered with the idea that asking prior exes or people that know them from the past, that doesn't necessarily help either. That's their experience. You know, you want your experience. So um, if they seem worth it, hang in there. I always say also, if you're unsure, go on a couple dates. First date's hard for people. Second date, they're kind of settling in and maybe by third date, more of the person's, excuse me, true self has emerged, so. All right, y'all, if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline AG page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline over at WeAreChannelQ.com. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about self-harm. So a little bit of a content warning and trigger warning all week, as always, mental health. But specifically, May, Mental Health Awareness Month, we'll be digging in real deep. But again, content warning, we'll be talking about self-harm. So if that's something that you're not ready or prepared to uh, listen to, maybe... uh, Pause, do some grounding exercises, or maybe uh, just jam out to some music. But we'll be back, um, as always, listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back, and we're talking about mental health from the perspective of parenting but again applicable to everyone these are all good reminders and uh before we took a break and did some dms we were just talking about the general pieces which is again make sure you're tapping into all your different identities and all the different relationships right solo time partner time family time making sure you're also looking out for your basic needs drinking enough water eating multiple meals throughout the day like i said i had to realize i had to pay attention to my sodium levels wait till you do that research and find out how much is in what you're eating and how little you should be having it brings it back to a really beautiful plant-based diet which was helpful for me Prioritizing your bedtime, right? Taking that seriously. Also setting boundaries around things that deplete your energy, right? Really realizing what do I have to do this day? How much energy do I need to have? What really can I expect of myself? Then finally taking mental health breaks throughout the day. Every hour, take a break, go for a walk, get coffee, read something, stand up, whatever you need to do. Every hour, I give you permission to do that. Um, Also, make sure you're taking your meds. If you've been prescribed a medication, take some meds. Make sure you're dealing with your psychiatrist who's prescribed the meds, I hope. And uh, take them as prescribed. And if you need any changes, that's great too. If you're in therapy, keep up with the therapy. I'm a big fan of people also doing some self-reflection and journaling. You know, every individual, you need to know what you're working on. Every person, if I were to stop you in the street and say, hey, what are you working on as a person? I want everyone to be able to tell me. Because people have these vague things like, oh, I'm working on myself. Oh, right, great. What does that mean? And if they can't itemize what aspects of themselves they're working on, then they're not, then they're not. I can tell you at all times, what are the things I need to be working on to be a better person in the world? And I think relationally, our whole lives are about relationships. Our mental health is relational. And so it's always about looking at the relationships we're in and realizing what is my part in this? Or what is my shortcoming? Or what parts of myself do I wanna bring more of out? Or what parts of myself do I need to quiet down and, and stop accessing? But our relationships let us know where our work is. How are we showing up to people? Are we showing up to criticism well? Do we set boundaries? Do we honor other people's boundaries? Are we assertive or are we aggressive? Do we enter every conversation ready for a battle and starting a battle? Or do we do soft, calm startups, setting us off on the right foot? Really learn about yourself. Um. Also, dun-dun-dun-dun, Are you bringing in pleasures and activities that fill you up? Your entire life cannot just be rooted in work and labor. Every single day, we've talked about this, bringing in things that bring you joy and pleasure, whether it's ice cream, a movie, right? Just coming home, putting on your sweatpants and laying on the couch, taking a bath. I don't care, but every day we deserve pleasure somehow. Maybe give yourself an hour in the morning, an hour in the middle of the afternoon, an hour at the end of the day. I don't care when, but... We get to have just joy and pleasure. We also get to have tons of rest. We're not using the word lazy anymore, but that's a whole nother topic. We've talked about that before. I don't want to get off on that tangent because I can talk about that endlessly. But I know what I do every day. You know, every single day I spend time with my headphones on, playing my music. Right? Because again, it's all about those senses. I also—I don't know if I shared this with y'all—the um, senses are the best way to really zero in on like a form of self-care or to really change our mood. Um, It's not just your thinking. Cognitive behavioral therapy is really big on looking at your thinking and also your behavior, but there's other access points. What are you listening to? The the sounds around us can be very helpful. Open your windows. Let the sound of the community or the city come in or close your windows and do silence. I've realized music is such a great way to change my mood. Also smells, I've been using essential oils. Absolutely, I love too. I'll I'll share them with you. Lavender, you can buy these online or at a health food store and get 100% pure essential oils. Um, But lavender is really good for calming. I put a couple drops in my hand, rub them together and bring it up to my face and just inhale. Excuse me, I keep that bottle out. When I just need to shift my state and it's like a symbolic way to just soothe and and sit still. And then if I need the opposite, I love grapefruit, grapefruit oil, essential oil. I rub that, three drops in my hands and smell that. Sometimes rub it on my arms. and that's joyful, it's enlivening, it wakes me up, it makes me smile. I've started to associate it with that. You know, it's a, but a moment in time, but I value that. So it's like, what are you listening to? What are you smelling? And then also, what are you seeing? Maybe sit outside, maybe go for a walk, maybe sit in the dark. That's what I've been a big fan of is I do the smells, I sit in the dark, I put on my music. Um, Sometimes it's thought process, you need to distract or ground yourself in thinking in the way you want to think. And that's why there's a lot of really great books. I love Eastern philosophy, cuts right to it. There's some really profound things. Maybe just find a meaningful quote and ponder it. I also do that often. Just really let my mind and my consciousness sit with a profound quote. Um, And then finally, creativity. I'm telling you, um, I work with a lot of artists and, uh, whether it's directly connected or not going to see art, doing something artistic is a really nice form of play. Adults don't know how to play anymore. We're so stiff. We're so rigid. Everything has to have an outcome or be productive. Play is not art is not, doesn't have to be tied to anything. You know, look at art online. I love looking at some of my favorite painters or photographers work. It transport me transports me so I can't even speak. It soothes me. You know, I post it, I share it, I look at it. And usually it's all combined. Like I said, I'm listening to my music and I'm swiping and I'm looking at their art. Because right now I'm not comfortable going to museums and galleries. I'm, I'm one of those people that will not be socializing or being around other people for a very long time. I'm turning down anything that requires me to be in confined spaces around people, right? I'm not back at my office yet. Um, but art is available online these days. I'm thankful for that. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we're gonna be talking about self-harm. Yep, uh, ways to engage others that might be self-harming. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back, and a little bit of a content warning and a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about self harm. So, as this is excuse me. If this is something that's overwhelming or distressing to you, this is not a segment for you. Please go seek some, you know, help if you need to settle down, um, or some resources if you are feeling actively suicidal or that you're going to harm yourself. Please, um, you know, call nine one one or a crisis line. Um, but I want I want to talk about self harming because I think it's something that lives in the shadows. Um, some mental health coping mechanisms, because that's what self-harm really is. It's, it's an attempt to cope with overwhelming feelings or states or memories. Um, it's very trauma-based. It's connected to a lot of uh, anxiety and major depression, also addiction. So, you know, again, we want to self-assess and assess those around us that we care about if you're struggling with, like I said, depression or anxiety, really struggling with self-regulation or addiction. These are collateral questions, you know, and the broadest question is just how do you deal with difficult mental health states? How do you deal with being, you know, really deeply anxious or really deeply sad? And that's how we start that conversation. It's non accusatory. And sometimes people will then lovingly share with us, or we will ourselves share some of these self harm forms of coping. Remember coping mechanisms are neither positive nor negative. They're whatever we do good and bad, harmful or not harmful. It's all the things we do to help cope with distressing and, um, distressing emotions, thoughts, and feelings, and being overwhelmed. Um, And they're on a scale of very minor to very extreme. Minor forms are things I do. We all do some minor forms. People that maybe pull at their eyebrows or pick at their fingers. When I'm anxious, I pick at my fingers. It's a form of self-soothing. It's a form of self-harm. I dig at my fingers a little bit and I do that when I'm anxious. Now, the work is about identifying in yourself or in others and helping them find alternative ways to cope. Remember, even if we're talking about drugs and alcohol, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. If we're removing a coping mechanism because we've determined it to not be in ours or someone else's best interest, we need to find a replacement. Because the work isn't about just cold turkey having the world coming at us and continuing to be overwhelming, but it's about finding more productive, self-care-rooted ways, right? Neutral to positive ways to deal with those emotions. Sometimes that means talking it out. Sometimes that means expressing it in a different form, but we don't just remove it <laughs> because there are things happening in the world that are gonna be bigger than what we have the resources to deal with. So it's understandable that we can't deal with everything on our own. It's okay to need coping mechanisms. We just need healthier ones. And what's healthy and what's not, it's gonna be dependent on a lot of different factors. But it's just realizing that they're on a scale, again, from small where we pick at ourselves and dig at ourselves, to really extreme where people are cutting and burning, right, and and stabbing. Um, and it can get very life-threatening and dangerous. So again, all the coping mechanisms, um, but we wanna check in on them. And the most loving, simple way is to say, hey, what kind of coping mechanisms do you tend to utilize? And we can ask ourselves that as a way to identify that in ourselves, right? Um, what are the ways that we, or this is you asking the other, what are the ways that you deal with really overwhelming emotions or experiences? It's how we start that conversation. But remember, we wanna always frame it in safety. Anyone we're talking to about this or someone's talking to us about this, we need to know that they're gonna sit in it with us. They're not gonna judge us. They're not gonna shame us, right? They're gonna help us find alternative ways to deal and to cope with it. Um, So again, when people talk about self-harming, usually they immediately think about cutting. Um, Usually cutting is done, well, not usually, but often. It's done in places that can't be seen, so it can be kept private. Um, But there's a lot of other ways that people deal with this distress now the clients i work with that have a history of, of extreme forms of self-harm that have left scars you know they deal with the stigma stigma with themselves and others when they have to see their scars when others stumble upon their scars right and those responses can really generate that shame um and that doesn't always back someone off off of harming sometimes that shame or that stigma leads them into more self-harm because again a lot of self-harmers are people that don't know how to deal with overwhelming emotions or experiences. It's, it's not having healthier coping mechanisms where it's having unresolved trauma or undealt with mental health issues. So it's a big constellation of things. But from the outside, we wanna be very thoughtful about how we talk about people. I've said this on and on. We want to be thoughtful about how we talk about people's weight, as in stop talking about it. Don't mention weight gain or weight loss. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if they're trying to gain or lose weight. We need to stop bringing people's attention to their bodies. Um, Self-harm scars are the same. You don't know what that means for for someone. You don't even know what it is you're looking at. So if you see scars on someone, don't assume it's self-harm. Don't assume it's not self-harm. And that's why if you're someone who, if it's someone you know, That's why the question is, how are you? How's your mental health? You know, what kind of coping mechanisms do you tend to utilize? You want to be very thoughtful how we enter that conversation. Um, It's a very, it can be a very traumatic thing. So what do we want to talk about when we're talking about approaching someone? And we're going to go through some of the uh, don't do this. There's gonna be a list of don't be that person because mental health. We're being mental health centered. We're being what we also call trauma informed, understanding that trauma is the leading cause of all mental health issues. You know, drug drug addiction's not um, a disease. We know that it's been debunked. It's a trauma response. It's a form of learning. It's a it's a faulty form of coping. Right, it's a faulty coping mechanism. Uh, a lot of psychosis and things like that are the result of trauma, self harm as well. So first off, <clears throat> remember we're not touching people. Don't touch people without permission. Um, this is a list that I pulled from a couple articles, and this was written thankfully by people themselves who are self harmers. And one of the things they said is people will often notice our scars, get worried, and they'll grab our arm or they'll hold us and they'll try to see our body. They'll try to explore other forms, and they'll say like, "What is this? Did you do this to yourself?" I thought we've talked about this consent-wise, but let's go through it again. It doesn't matter in, in whether you wanna see someone's tattoo that you can only partially see, or their self-harm scars, or, or a burn. You have to ask permission before you touch someone, right? Really remember that. That's how we are trauma-informed. We don't know what someone's experience of touch is. Does is touch feel safe to them? Do they feel safe with us? Are they prepared to be touched? Or if we're talking about self-harm scars, are they prepared to have those scars seen in this moment by me? Right? So be very thoughtful about that. We, I, the, these are universal skills. Stop talking about people's bodies and don't touch another human being without permission. Also, asking someone from your own empathetic place, does that hurt? Are you hurt? Well, no, this is a self-soothing mechanism. Although it's confusing to some people, this is what they do as a form of calming and regulating. Kind of like if you see someone rocking or someone puts their head in their hands or someone like myself picks or plays with their hands. Some people are constantly playing with their hair or picking their lips. I have a a family member who's always kind of picking their lips. It's a minor form of self-harm. That's an attempt to self-regulate. We gotta take a quick break, but we'll be back and we're gonna keep talking about uh, mental health and self-harm. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right. We're back. And again, a quick content warning. We're talking about self-harm. If that is something that's going to trigger you or make you feel overwhelmed, this isn't the segment for you. Please find resources that ground you and make you feel safe. Um, So again, we're talking about self-harm and right now we're really just focusing on what not to do if you're around someone who you think is self-harming. We do want to, based on the relationship we have with the person and in appropriate ways, really partner with someone if we think that they're harming themselves. Uh, But we're focusing today more on what not to do. The first one is don't touch people without permission, regardless of what we're talking about. Be very thoughtful also about how you talk about people's bodies, whether we're talking about waking, hair color, aging, acne, whatever it is. You don't know what kind of trauma they might have around that. So it's called being trauma-informed. We don't make comments. We don't know what we're looking at, especially if we're talking about scars. We're not asking people if it hurt. That's kind of moving in almost like a, um, a gratuitous way because self-harm is an attempt to soothe. You're talking about someone's history, someone's mental health issues, right? Um, also be very thoughtful about the whole idea, and this comes up with addiction as well. Why don't you just stop? We even hear this in uh, abusive relationships, why don't you just leave? Because human psychology is more, more complex than that. We're talking about someone's history, with feeling empowered or disempowered. We're talking about someone's sense of ability to speak up, someone's sense of whether or not they think the world is safe and they'll get their needs met, whether or not they've they have multiple oppressed identities and they feel like they won't be taken seriously, whether or not someone has resources to go somewhere safe, whether or not someone has good health care and can get into therapy or the treatment they need, whether or not someone believes that they have a tight social circle that won't shame them and will listen and be supportive. There's a lot in there. How is this person's self-esteem? Does this person of other coping mechanisms, right? Like all of that's in there. Nothing's as easy as just stop doing it. We all have things in our lives that we have a funky relationship to that we wish we could improve, right? We know the difficulty. It's not as easy as just do it. We have the stages of change. Not everyone's in the action stage, and not everyone's ready to step step into action. Some people are in the contemplation stage for months or years, talking about wanting to quit smoking, talking about wanting to move their body more, right? But they talk for a while and you're like, why are you always talking? Just do it because I'm not in the action stage yet. I still need to get more motivation. I still need to do more research or I still need to stick with the identity I'd be leaving or what I'm moving towards. Like psychology is very complex. We also don't want to downplay it by saying things like it doesn't look that bad. We're not putting a value judgment on it, right? We're also not doing dramatic things like just hiding or taking away sharp objects. That's not the point. The problem wasn't the availability of a razor or scissors or pins. The problem is this person doesn't know how to deal with overwhelming emotions. And if you don't either, and you already feel yourself getting angry or activated or scared or dramatic, you are not the person to talk to this other individual. Because if you can't be a grounded, safe, regulated resource, please do not try to help your dysregulated child or loved one literally do anything. It's funny when I see a kid throwing a tantrum and I watch the parent essentially throw their own tantrum in response while yelling at the kid to calm down. But yet this adult can't calm down. It's one dysregulated person trying to help another dysregulated person it doesn't work that way and here's another example of doing that if you're not calm cool and collected you're not ready to be the one to step into this and as always do some education before you step into any conversation around a difficult topic do some education read and understand what this is about what resources this person needs because that's important but what's really bigger than that and most important is just letting them know that you're there that is what saves lives we even know that in LGBTQIA community Just knowing you have one supportive individual reduces the risk of suicide alleys severely. And for self-harm, it's often the same thing. You can maybe be a resource where next time they're dealing with something difficult, instead of cutting or doing a negative form of coping, maybe they'll reach out to you and say, can we talk or the opposite? Can we just go for a walk and laugh? Also, it'll enhance self-esteem. Maybe you can help provide some resources. Help them maybe talk about getting into therapy so they can learn emotional regulation skills and boundaries or dre- or deal with and resolve whatever the, the uh, you know triggering issues might be in their life that they're trying to cope with and around. Sometimes it's just something going on in their life that is beyond what they have the resources to deal with. And self-harm is an attempt to get all their needs met. I can both cope with what's happening I don't have any other resources I don't feel and this will make me feel better. And that's what some drugs and alcohol are for some people. It's, it's, it's a form of self-harm. You know, again, they're overwhelmed. They don't know how to deal with what's happening around them and so they choose drugs or alcohol as a way to buffer, as a way to decrease, as a way to check out. Uh, but again, the, mental, the, the, the most important entry point is just being calm, cool and collected and being there for someone, right? We don't wanna stigmatize. We don't want to diagnose and label. All of that is very shaming, and all and that can also communicate to the person that I'm not a safe resource for you. Um, <clears throat> and it can be a lifetime of healing, because as I said earlier, there's so many factors that can create a person's psychology. Um. All right. Cool. So coming up next, going to slide into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Love Line IG page. Uh, Tonight's DM is uh, around this topic. Fear of someone you love being depressed and possibly harming themselves. What do you do? Well, we just talked about a little bit, but when we come back in the DMs, we'll be talking more about it. But again, if you got a DM for us, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Love to hear from you. Always anonymous, always confidential. And uh, check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they all are. There they all are. You can post, binge, share. Um, Yeah, so stick around, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Today's question, uh, final DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my sister has been showing signs of depression. She's 27, she lives alone, has a part-time job. She doesn't get out that often. Her depression seems to be getting worse. Her anger seems to be triggered by the smallest things. How can I help? It's hard, it's difficult to watch those we care about struggle with the possibility of mental health stuff, which maybe not even, that might not be the case. We don't know what's going on in this individual's life. She's 27. Maybe she's struggling to make friends. Maybe she's going through a difficult romantic relationship. Maybe her job is stressful and has a lot of pressure. We don't really know. But I love that you care about her, and I love that you're there for her. Listen, we never can, nor do we want to change or force change in someone else's behavior. It's not appropriate. People get to have autonomy. So all you can do is let your sister know that you're a caring, loving loving support if and when she is ready or wants to access that. We don't force ourselves on people. People get to decide to live the life they want. We don't really know what the depression is driven by, right? If that's even true, this is your interpretation. Maybe she's taking space from you. You know. So really, all you want to do is uh, express care non-judgmentally. Hey, is everything okay? How's your mental health? Bam, that's all you do. I don't even want you to use words like depressed because I don't want you to force that label or judgment upon how you see her living her life. Maybe she's more introverted, maybe she's quieter. We don't know, right? And even saying you're depressed doesn't tell us anything. That doesn't help us understand the problem. That doesn't even help us understand the solution, right? So it's really just saying, I, I you know, you're on my mind. I'd love to be closer with you. Um, you can say, how's your mental health? And if she says everything's fine, Then your role is really about honoring that, but continuing to be present in her life, reaching out, letting her know you're thinking about her, reaching out, letting your sister know that you're there. if She wants to get out of the house. But again, we have to honor the boundaries. We don't force ourselves or force care on people that don't want it. I want to remind people that the mental health world should not be tied to the carceral system. We should not be forcing um, you cannot actually force therapy on someone, nor should you. And I, and I would never as a therapist participate in that. I only work with people that are interested in therapy. It's really patronizing and very much part of patriarchy to force care on someone. And care can't be forced, right? And I watch a lot of people have their rights taken away because maybe they're living or, or uh, moving through the world in ways that make other people uncomfortable. And that's not appropriate, right? So again, I don't know what's going on in your sister's life. Ask her how her mental health is. Stay close. When people are struggling, they need people close. So even if she says she's all well and you don't believe her, still try to be a participant in her life and help her focus on distractions. Help her focus on reconnecting to joy and pleasure in her life. Help her find a lot of rest. That's the indirect way that you already start to do what the steps would be. You know, help her examine, hey, does your life have purpose and meaning? You know, these are topics I bring up with all my friends. You know, we're always processing those things. But that's what someone who's possibly depressed needs to be looking at. What might be the sources of these mental health struggles in my life and what changes can be made? But, um, you know, again, she is where she is. And depression is an acceptable normal part of mental health. We've talked about that, right? Mental health does not mean we're never sad, depressed, or anxious. Mental health means we can sit in those things fully and deeply we we find w- appropriate ways to cope, but we also f- we also we also have to allow and dig in and go into, you know. So um, maybe she'll open up and let you know she does have some depression, and then you help you can help connect her to resources or help her f- help her find solutions, you know. But as we know, a lot of depression is about disconnection, not having purpose or meaning in your life, feeling isolated. So you can still process those elements because you yourself might also need to do so you know we all kind of need that work especially right now it's still a very difficult time so I'm glad you're there for her. That's really all we need. And we all know that just having one supportive person significantly reduces mental health risk, right? Reduces the severity and absolutely reduces the possibility of suicidality, which at the end of the day is what a lot of people are most worried about. So that is our show. Um, coming up tomorrow, we're gonna be talking about a new, new mental health issue that's emerged, nomophobia. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. You gotta join us tomorrow to hear more about it. Something that I learned about myself. I thought, oh identify with this. I got some work to do. And then we'll be talking about how work can impact our mental health and how to push back on the toxic elements of work. Because work shouldn't be everything. Work should not be the thing that takes us down and stresses us out. It's just a way to get our needs met, but our lives should be centered in pleasure and rest and meaning. So join us for that and check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. As always, all y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.